anecdotally, we had a young man, I think he was in the class last week, who said he listened to this in China every single week. Like, did you guys meet him? And so this is what Chris told me. He, he said, what is his name, Van? Boo. Came up to him and said, I liked what Robbie said in session two when he said, like, of course, I don't remember it, and Chris doesn't remember it. But, so. But Vu remembers it. Mm. Oh, really? He was taking good notes? It was crazy, because I said to him, I cannot take notes the way, because he's typing away, and I wouldn't be able to pay attention. Listen, and yeah. 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 I wanted to see how the notes worked. They were so organized. Really? Wow. I love that. Well, we're, hey, I didn't see you. Did you just sneak in or have you been here for a while? Yeah. Matt, anyway, hello, Matt. Matt. It's good to see darkness. you. Yes. Oh, sorry. It was me in a deep conversation. Right. Welcome back. I'm so glad to see you guys. It's so good to, I feel like I'm starting to get to know you and that makes me, um, you know, really happy to have relationships with you guys or start to have relationships with you guys. So we, uh, last week, uh, you can talk to, hey, how are you? You can talk to Robbie about it afterwards. Robbie was in Scotland and I was nowhere as fun. I was in Minneapolis for work. So you can wonder who got the best end of that stick if you'd like to. So um, did I do it right? I think I did. Okay, good. So I thought we would just start with Tell me what you guys heard, what you guys learned about Jesus last week from Chris. What did you guys, what did you guys take away? What were your takeaways? You weren't there. You weren't there. Okay, we're going to rely. Were you there? Okay, Matt. Okay. <laughs> Can you kind of refresh us all? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Does anybody have any like impressions from last week or anything they want to share? I said, where's Vu when you need I know, exactly. I wrote down verses, but I have not gone back Yeah, yes. Since then, so. Kind of Numbers, John. Oh, go ahead. Well, that was all I was going to say, and I think you're taking it where I was hoping to go if I read the verses. No, I was just going to say in general, it was kind of a connection Okay. Point, everything pointing forward from the Old Testament as a reference to the New Testament and what Christ did for us yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the Good. reference to Numbers was about yesterday. Mm -hmm. The reference for John was about today. Yeah. And the reference from Philippians was for now. Wow. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yesterday, so, today, and forever. Um, I, I, I wonder, like, if, if um, well, probably not all of us have ever maybe even read the old, the old Testament or familiar with the Old Testament, but to know that there's all of these references that point to Jesus, that the whole Old Testament really is pointing to Jesus from the very beginning, from Genesis, right? Um, that there's a, there's a reference that, um, you know, you can tell, okay, there's, there's hope coming, there's a solution coming, and it's in the Messiah, and to see all of those references across. So that's kind of what, you know, what hopefully you got from, from that first, um, from Chris's session was that the Old Testament 
it points to Jesus. Now, uh, does anybody want to just share like what that does that is that profound to you? Is that how does that land with you, Alex? I see you nodding your head. Um, <laughs> well, it just like um, it like I think I mentioned before. It's kind of clever how like God has like orchestrated every like just every part of the story. Like um, I think I think I'm sure it was Robbie or Chris who mentioned it, but um, you know. Um, you know, we, we can even kind of trace back God's lineage, and He comes from people who are sinners and people who who did uh-huh. mess up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still, you know, like um, He is intentional in a way that still connects to all of us in mm. ways that can relate to all of us. So even his ancestors were people like us. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, He's a master storyteller. Yeah, Joel. In reading the Yancey book, one of the things that picked up on um, it's a question that I have been asked because I've been walking with the Lord for a long time and it's a question that I have asked I believe that I have gone through the darkest night of my soul mm-hmm. and if I didn't I'm terrified of what it would be mm-hmm. um, and Nancy puts it really well can I resolve the inner tension between doubter and lover mm-hmm. and return again to the same question as if fingering an old wound that never quite healed does God matter about does God care about the misery down here mm-hmm. and do we really matter to God yeah mm-hmm. right and those were questions that I was asking and I think I was kind of like Jill because I was asking God some really bold questions that mm-hmm. he was choosing it's not good. to answer mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. that point well um yeah, he was. He had me on radio And I think that we're going to talk a lot about that next week. Um, That's actually one of the phrases that we're going to address. Mm -hmm. So, but I think in terms of when you just look at the Old Testament and you see the Old Testament is about stories about people. Like it's an, a lot of it is a narrative, like you're learning about Joseph or you're learning about Abraham or you're learning about all these different people that walked the earth and how God intervened in their life. And I think that can also help us to, to say, I, I think he cares. It doesn't always look like I want it to look like, but that he does care. And some of the Old Testament is really for us to see that people are broken, right? That God, and that God still chooses to walk with us when we're broken, but also there's all of these, um, all of this hope in the Old Testament to say um, a Messiah is coming. And that's why when Jesus came, they, you know, they were looking for something different, but it wasn't, they were looking for a Messiah because they knew there was somebody coming 
Right. Yep. Right. That's exactly right. The Old Testament, they didn't see. Right. They had. They had to look forward. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't see. Right. We we see more than they did. Yeah. (laughs) But we've got the we've got the love story here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, But when you read the history, that's documented. Like we we stopped. You know, when the book was written, it it stopped. Why did it stop? The Old Testament, is that what you're talking about? Well, the Old Testament stopped because Jesus was born, but the New Testament, Mm. that just comes to an end. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's almost as if God stopped speaking, but he sent his comforter, the Holy Spirit. Mm. Yeah, I think you just answered your own question. (laughs) (laughs) But he didn't really speak, you know? Mm. Yeah. Do Do you want to respond to that? I mean, I, I, do you want to respond to it? I mean, I, I, I can, but then we're okay. Okay, do you, we might want to we might want to no. parking lot that, okay. and we can put it on our why. So just kind of maybe make a note, Robbie. Why? Yeah, but that. Well, I was thinking that could be in Part two of, weeks. Yeah, we're going we, to just yes, do questions. That's and what I was saying. If, yeah, maybe you yeah. could just write so, that down. You know, just a, a like a short, just idea, is that Jesus when he came to earth was physically a man, which meant he was not all places at all times. So, you know, Jesus was established in Judea, but there were people that were living in North America. How was he going to communicate to them there, right? But when Jesus left, he sent the Comforter so that the Holy Spirit could indwell every single believer. So literally, God is present, active, and indwelling in every believer everywhere. So if you will, what Jesus' purpose, and, and this is, you know, the scripture is really telling us what Jesus did, that he's the point, and then the teaching of, that we should be following with that, with that first church, the first iteration, Right? So then after that, God is working through his church and with, through the Holy Spirit in all different places, go into all the world. So he closes the canon because this is everything you need to know. So it's not that God is not speaking anymore. It's that he is not giving you this specific revelation, the written word of what you, you need for salvation, what you need for discipleship, let's say, right? But now God is speaking constantly through his church. And, you know, what I love is if you go back and read what's called the Apostolic Fathers, which is the second generation of Christians, here God is still just as active. And it's, you know, Clement of Alexandria, Alexandria and Polycarp, and his martyrdom, and his book to the Philippians. But these are not inspired in the same way. They're not authoritative in the same way. But God is still working, Mm -hmm. and he's still speaking through his people, which, of course, down through the ages today, God is just as active and speaking just as clearly. But it's not the authoritative word. 
if that makes sense. Mm. I mean, now what happened is this was able to spread everywhere. And that is, you know, the gospel work. That's just a short, off the top of my head, I didn't know the question was coming, but that's <laughs> a good, it, no, no that's Joel, good. That, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. We'll keep coming back to it. I put it, it up there too, so we can grab it too. Yeah, did God stop talking? But the answer is absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But he didn't like speak specifically now in the authoritative sense that he did there because we have everything that we need communicated to us for salvation, for discipleship, for even organizing churches and being communities and such. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So I was, I've been reading the Old Testament. Okay. Daniel now. Oh, wow. So I wanted to ask you guys a question. Okay. So I think it's related to, to, to Moses. So it's, it's, it's hard to understand. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's really hard. But um, it's the time of the end. And it basically says, then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. For at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Mm. So I guess, does that relate? I was thinking that was relating because it's because of his the sacrifice. That's how you get your name in the book, right? Mm. That's how you get your name in the book. Yeah. Well, that would be a whisper of, again, a whisper of what's to come. So Daniel, I'm t- you correct me, I'm not really, but Daniel's <laughs> talking about what's way in the future, past Jesus walking on mm-hmm. the earth. And so, you know, that's, that's really what he's, what we're talking about is the Old Testament is full of things yeah. that are not related to the time and space that the t- Old Testament was written in. And that would be an example mm. of that. Yeah. So for example, what... What, what Daniel is doing, prophecies are called foretellings. There's a, a foretelling where I'm telling the truth. Sorry, foretelling. Where I'm telling the truth, and I'm telling the truth about the future or the present. So when Daniel writes, he writes not only about the situation right there that they are in Babylon, but he also talks to the future which would be the time of Christ. And he talks about the cutting off of the Messiah and forecasts, you know, the crucifixion. But he's also talking about end times. And this is what's called like double prophecy, double fulfillment. In Isaiah, sorry. I know we're... (laughs) I know, we're we're way off. Keep going. In Isaiah, there's a, a prophecy where he says, a child shall be born. And a, a child that, you know, that will be born of a virgin and that, you know, and will show that God is with us, right? So here, he's telling the story here to King Ahaz. And King Ahaz has a child. And it's a prophecy. And it's fulfilled. And he's saying to him, trust God that he's telling the story. But guess what? Matthew says, no, no. It's, it's Jesus. That prophecy is about Jesus. A virgin shall conceive, and this will be a virgin, and she'll have a child, and you'll name his name Emmanuel. God is with us. So these prophecies, this is a way that the the Word of God is still active and still speaking and still going on is you've got these stories 
that are telling it forth and, and being fulfilled right there too, which is really just amazing, the power of the Scripture. So like when you have the book of Revelation, there are things that John is talking about that's happening right there. He has a vision of Jesus, and he sees the stories of what's really going on while Nero is king. But he's also telling a story about the future. The end times, he talks apocalyptically like this is the end when all nations will be judged, when everything will come down. And the great, what you're talking about, Daniel, he's talking about it in Revelation, same exact thing. But then there's this beautiful thing of this truth is happening all the time. These truths that he says in Revelation that Jesus reveals is always true. So Antichrist, for example, there was an Antichrist right there in Rome. His name was Nero, and he was assassinating Christians and killing them and doing all kinds of terrible things. There will be an end time Antichrist that will be apocalyptic, and you know everybody will worship him, he seemed, it seems like, but there is always Antichrists. Always the church is being persecuted. Always the truth is that you have to cling to Jesus because there's no one else who really knows your heart and can protect you and can deliver you. So the, the fourth telling is what Daniel is doing. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Yeah. So one of the things I want you to take away from that experience that you just had <laughs> is the Bible is like you can you will never know and understand the bible is so rich that you can study it for 50 years and you can still not understand all of the depths that there are but i so if you if you're like whew, whew, ha, whew, the passion right mm -hmm. of how this is all interconnected and talking to somebody who has studied it and knows it's interconnected like that that the first time i experienced somebody who was talking like that i just thought it was so inspiring to me to know like i want to understand the bible the way he does you know and today i don't and so it, it inspired me to to try to learn and grow so hopefully mm -hmm. that's uh, if you didn't, if it just went, whoop, it's okay. Um, yeah. I mean, look at those scribbles right there. And the, so the whole thing of this, when you do this, it's yeah. just the best. So, mm. all right. So um, just remembering where we are a group of learners, right? So we are all on a journey together. We're a group of learners who are going to do all these things, respect each other and be patient with each other, be diligent to learn, all of those things. So we just, every week we want to remember that. So if you're okay, I'm going to skip your story and let okay. you tell it okay. another, time. another time. How does that sound to get that us back great. on track? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we are going to skip Robbie's story. Hold on. Let me just uh, try to get my, well, I can't do it. So I'm just going to do it this way. Okay. Here we are. So this is where we're going to start. What, what we want to do is have you kind of talk around the table and say, what is the best news you have gotten this year? What's the best news you've gotten this year? Just really quickly, you only have five minutes to do this. Um, so just really quickly share with each other best news that you've gotten this year. Did everybody get a chance to share? Yeah, did you get a chance to share? Okay, good. So I'd love for just one or two of you to 
Would anybody like to share, like, my news is so big, I want to share with the whole room? Oh, you've got one. Okay. Um, so, like I just said, the news for me. Yes. Uh, news is not, like, something they, like, someone is telling you exactly. I see it more as a, like, for me, my husband had a surgery, and it was an easy surgery. It would take 10 minutes, and it got complicated. So, we mm -hmm. have dealing time um, January, and... So we pray, we pray, and we pray, and the answer was not right away, but we, I feel that God has been with us all the way, little by little. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The light, the tunnel is far away, wow. but we see just that he has been there with us. And yes. Left and right, it's a roller coaster. We yes. And ooh, it go up again, it's emotion. Yes. So I feel that he didn't give me the news right there, but I know that he's there with me in Sometimes the way that he answered our prayers is not what we want. Mm. It's just in his time. Yeah. Mm. And sometimes our, what we want is not what he wants, and he gives us something completely different. So right. Mm. Right. Right. That's good. That's, That's good. great. Thank you for sharing I that. I saw a movie, thing. It's just I wanted to share, but I, it just was on Saturday. My daughter said it, and um, it was related to this. It's just a little girl, and she was so sweet. and. And she was telling people about God. I don't know if anyone has seen this movie. It's on YouTube. And it's called Lucy's Shimmers. And she is, um, the movie is talking about Jesus. And, uh -huh. um, and she, I'm just going to write it down. Maybe we can Jesus look at it and show it next week. And God gave her, like, uh, she donated her organs to mm. a gentleman. And so the one part of the movie that that called my attention that I wanted to see it was because she was in the hospital and she said hi to a gentleman who was like a prisoner and the dad said, don't touch my hand. And she's like, but he seems nice. He has tattoos like you. So he's like, you know, sometimes we judge people. And, and the little girl was telling me, like, because he has tattoos, he's a nice guy. Like, you do that. You have tattoos too. Uh -huh. And in the movie at the end, the girl died, but her organs were donated. Okay. Oh, thank you. Thank you for telling. I love it. I love it. Here you go. It's your turn, I think. Right? Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. So the we're we're talking about good news. Yeah, obviously, best news. We just got you started, but we're talking about the good news. And let me just say one thing about this, if you, if you got lost in all this. I heard this, uh, didn't hear it, I read this theologian that he said, what is the best news you've ever hit, heard? What is the deepest truth that you can think of? And he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Hmm. And he said, that's the deepest truth that you can go. So if you get lost in Daniel and you're like, now I, I can't see. And so because I can't understand that, I, I can't understand anything. And you go, oh, no, no, no. The deepest truth is that you are loved unconditionally and Jesus came on a rescue mission to capture your heart, to rescue you, and to give you life. And that's, that's the place where you start. And, you know, now we're, we're still talking about that in some of y'all might be going, still not sure if that's what I believe or still not sure 
where, where I go with that, but that's really where, we, where the good news comes from. The good news literally means um, something that has been done for you. Like, news is not that you have to do something, but it's that some work has been done to rescue you. So like back in the day, you know, when the, the uh, Greeks and the Spartans were fighting and whoever won, then the announcement would come through the city. We've won, we're free, we've been released. We're not in captivity anymore. And that's news. The news has been given that this has been done on your behalf. And the good news is what Jesus came to preach. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about Jesus, the preacher. Okay? So we're going to go to a message of offense first. So this is in Luke 4. So I, I don't know, did, have you thought in your mind if I said Jesus, the preacher, before I got here, I shouldn't have clicked it, be, before I said any of that, and I said, here's the topic tonight, Jesus the preacher, what comes to your mind? Luke 4. That is amazing. That's, we're, we're, we're right on the same page. Yeah. What comes to your mind when you hear Jesus the preacher? Know any sermons? Know anything that he said where you'd go, yeah, that's what I remember about him preaching? Sermon on the Mount, okay, we're going to get to that. Thank you, Pat. When he was a young boy, he went into the temple and okay. was teaching okay. rabbis. Yep, mm -hmm. that's okay. Mm -hmm. That would have been good to hear that message. Anybody else? The best news. The best news. <laughs> there you go. I like that. You're exactly right. So uh, we're going to talk about some how people responded to his sermons. And this one is called A Message of Offense. We've just kind of said this. And so this passage, and it actually comes from Isaiah. So this is, again, the foretelling. Isaiah said this. And then Jesus, when he came to the temple to give this message, he said, everything that Isaiah was saying was pointing to me. And here's why I came. If you will, he gave a job description to himself. This is what I'm doing. Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. And by the way, this word anointing is literally Christos, Christ. Christ means anointed one. So he's anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. This is all things that are happening to someone because of what someone else has done that the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So I'm going to show you a little clip from uh, The Chosen where he gives this very part. And, and you would think, if you just listen to that, you just go, wow, it's so nice. That's the, that is the good news. I can't believe that that's what he came to do. But watch how it goes okay so let's just might have been confusing let's just talk through kind of what we saw there and 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 try to understand how people were receiving the words that jesus was saying and how that applies to us okay so the first thing is what kind at the at the beginning when he's 
giving the scripture and he's reading the Isaiah and reading the good news, the part that we had just read, what were the people's response? They were impressed. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. Who is this? This is Joseph's son. How, how in the world is he coming up with this? Right? Mm -hmm. What else? They got angry. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's where we went. At first, they, they actually weren't angry because he had just quoted Isaiah. It kind of starts turning when he says, this has now been fulfilled today. And why do you think that would cause a problem? Exactly. It's exactly right. You got it. Sometimes you can go, hey, here's some good truth. But people will be uh, healed and helped. But then he said, and it's me. God Almighty is what he's saying is in your midst right now. And so now they're kind of confused of, whoa, what are, what are you saying? And you can see the rabbi. If you, watch, if you go home and watch the whole clip, it is heavy. Because you realize we've started, Jesus has started the clock. With this passage, with this story, this is the moment when he is announced to everyone in his hometown. I am the Messiah. I am God Almighty. And now the clock's ticking. Up until then, anything he did, it was fine. Good, good, good teacher, good works and all of this. But now it's starting a different way. So let's continue. He says to him that there's no, no prophet is acceptable except for in his hometown. And then he, when they hear this, they're furious. And he says the, the phrase that we haven't put in here. He says, certainly what you're saying is I ought to perform a miracle here. Physician, heal thyself. You did all these works in all these other places. And he quotes that two different prophets have cared for Gentile people instead of the Jews. What do you think all of that means? Now we're getting a little complex. Why were they furious with that? He's a savior for all. Is that what you were going to say? Well, they thought that the savior was just coming for the Jews. Yes. So he is saying, basically, you don't really believe me. But there are people out there who are now believing and are coming to faith. And, and he says, you no doubt want me to just perform a miracle right now because you want me to do what you want me to do. So how do you feel, how do you deal with this when you ask Jesus to do a certain thing and he doesn't do it? And the, you pray and you pray and he's not on your timetable. And he's not working in your schedule. What do you do? You can be honest here. This is a safe place. I get frustrated. I get very frustrated, right? Right. And I take matters into my own hands. Okay. Oh, wow. Now we got real honest. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. And then he's got to drag me back. 
there you go. And I think about the center divide of a highway, mm -hmm. and it's all full of bushes and thicket, and, mm. and he's got to drag me through all of that to get me back on the right road. Mm. And it hurts every single time. Yeah. Mm. But yet, when I came to that intersection, and it was time to choose right or left, I didn't wait for him mm -hmm. to tell me right or left. There you go. I chose right. There you go. Made yourself your own God with your own little kingdom, little K. Mm -hmm. What else? He feels forsaken. Okay. Like, you know, he's not. Surely he feels that. That's mm -hmm. right. I, I love this. I, I read this from Tim Keller. He said, when you have a God who tells you this is the way and it bugs the heck out of you, it's a good sign that you're talking to the real God. If your God is always agreeing with you, votes the same way you do, would always say the same exact things that you do, you're probably not talking about God right now. You're talking about a figment of your imagination, right? Because right here, Jesus is laying down the truth, and this is the moment where they go, but that's not our truth. We're, we're going to take our own brand rather than who you are. Mm. And that's really kind of what's at stake here. What Jesus is saying is the gospel is for everybody, like Ben said. That's what, when he's quoting the healing of the, the woman from Zarephath, he is saying the gospel is going out. And you guys just want to be the chosen people and keep the gospel to yourself. And by the way, that's a kick in the rear for all of us in church. Is that why he said that you don't heal in your own power? Yeah, he, basically he is saying that you, you are not abiding in belief because you know me, you knew me as a child, you're biased against me. And you're not looking for God movement, you're just looking for what you want to make sense to you. And they say, just show some miracles, come on. Do a couple of miracles, and then maybe we'll believe you. And you go, well, that's not how God works. God is telling the story, and, and we find ourselves in that story, and it's always calling us to trust. And it's usually going to be a way that you go, oh, ouch. Now, he, Janet put this question here, but he passed right through the crowd at the end. And was there the question there? I'll, I'll just go back. Why do you think... So they're, they're about to throw him off the cliff. They, if you watch the video clip, now they're all enraged and they're pulling at him and they're taking him out. And that, that priest said, you have now blasphemed because you, a man, are making yourself to be a god. And they're taking him out to throw him off the cliff. And Jesus stands and looks at them and he goes, this is not happening today. He let them take him all the way to the cliff. And then he looks at them and goes, this is not happening today. And they all just back away. Why do you think? That can relate to us as well, because I think that when um, Jesus is praying, yeah. the answers are not given or a different way. Because inside, I think God has a plan for all of us, mm -hmm. that our plans are not the same as 
Yeah. And sometimes he used heartache for like for me, but to heal someone else. Okay. And I can get, I can pray and ask him, and he will not answer my prayer in that moment because it's not my time. Mm -hmm. But through me, he can answer her prayer. Okay. And I can get really upset with him and feel like giving up and losing hope and say, like, well, you don't listen to me. You know, you don't yeah. love me anymore. Yeah. And I can kind of get to the cliff and say, like, I, I give up. But he will bring you back. Like He'll bring you back. And you will be suffering, and sometimes we're on our knees and okay. crying and hard time until we go back to him. Okay. It's like mm -hmm. more like humble. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, hum it humbles you, doesn't it? It's kind of like Joe Hell's story. Um, anybody else? Yes. Uh, well, when I saw that, I was like, they had quite a presence, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I right. think they saw some of that. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and they were maybe starting to have a little self doubt. Mm hmm. And were a little bit concerned about who they're messing with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just walked right through the crowd. It's yeah. kind of like parting of the waters. <laughs> yep, yeah. that's exactly right. And he goes on his way knowing it's not today. It's not today. Yeah. So, Jesus, sometimes when people talk about the gospel or they talk about the cross, they say, what a tragedy. But it's not a tragedy at all. The tragedy is that humanity would kill their God. The tragedy is the darkness of our hearts. But this is an offering. So he, this is, he's not going to die unless he offers himself. Hmm. So that's, that's why at this moment, this is not the time. This is going to be something else. This is going to be with all of humanity's sins on him. So this is not, that's not the plan. So he's, it just, to me, it kind of just shows a little bit like, don't forget who's in control. And on the cross, don't forget who's in control. He's still in control. He's telling the story. Yeah. All right. And now my lovely bride will talk about the Sermon on the Mount. So I, I just want to say, you know, that it seems like in that sermon that we just listened to, that things were going this way, and then they just went the other way, you know. And I think a lot of times, hopefully one of your takeaways is that, you know, Jesus is, um, and Philip Yancey talks about this in the book, that his messages often did offend people. Like, it wasn't all flowery and love and sweet, sweet, sweet. It was, they were challenging. And so um, that was one of my for sure takeaways when I was thinking about how the crowd that says they all spoke well of him, you know, and then all of a sudden they're throwing him off a cliff. And so just realizing, well, what did they like about his sermon? And then what made them really mad about their sermon? How do we put ourselves in that synagogue on that day and ask ourselves, like, what happened that made them so angry? So mm. anyway, that's my thoughts about that. That's good. We're, let's talk about the Sermon on the Mount. H has everybody heard of this Sermon on the Mount? It's a really famous sermon that Jesus gave, and he probably gave it 
like a lot of times. Like, so that's why there's a little bit different versions in the different gospels. It's, um, it's, but it, you can find it in Matthew like five, six, and a little bit of seven, I think, right? Uh -huh. So it starts off with the Beatitudes, right? So let's just listen um, for, let's listen to the Beatitudes being read to us. And uh, then we're going to talk about them. Matthew 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Does that sound familiar? A lot of you familiar? Yeah. So what we want to do is there, we want to take a look at what Jesus, like some of those words are familiar to us and they kind of go, we kind of go, oh, that's so nice. But let's talk about what Jesus is saying about each one of these blessed, I'm, I've got four blesseds here for you. And, um, and then what does our culture say? Like, does our culture agree, does our society agree with these Beatitudes, these four? So what we're going to do is we're going to have you guys at this table just for a minute talk about blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does our culture say in light of the poor in spirit, okay, or people that are downtrodden or desperate? What do they say? Or how do you, you know, however you want to say that. Um, blessed are those who mourn. If you guys would take that one and say, okay, is that, do we think, does our culture think that we're blessed when, we're, when we mourn or are we blessed when something else happens? 
Um, you guys can do the meek. So blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Do we, does our culture think the meek are going to inherit the earth? Or do we think there's another way to, uh, to get our way? And then we'll do over here the peacemakers. So we're just going to give you like three or four minutes to talk about that and see what you come up with. And we'll share, uh, have everybody share together. Okay, so let's Wax just start with you guys. Come on, Irene. What, um, so what does our culture say about blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven? What, what does our culture say about that? Well, <laughs> we were, yeah, Derek and I were kind of going back to chapter 6. I, I, mm -hmm. I, I remember this and I had to go back and reference it, but I like what DNC does is he, he contrasts basically the way that our culture sees someone who would be an idol, cover of a magazine, yeah. um, you know, athlete, uh, you know, someone who's an actor or whatever, uh, compared to you know, where you would think that that person has everything, understands everything, has truly experienced, like, has truly grasped what it means to be the salt of the earth compared to someone who you know, is leaving everything to serve people in a third world country. Right. And with true abandon. Mm. Right. For the betterment of someone else, you know, to right. truly serve others, mm. like that is the person who's is theirs is the kingdom of heaven compared to the person who truly builds all of their wealth tertiary. Yeah. The earth. So yeah. I like that comparison a lot because it, it does typically like your idol is typically the one that you're looking to lead you. You're not looking to the person who would be, you know, poor in spirit or meek. Right. Truly be the leader or the deliverer of the message right. because it doesn't, it doesn't compute. It, it's, it's, it, it's two puzzle pieces that, yeah. you know, they don't fit. Yeah, I think would it be fair to say our culture does is, is saying chase after what you want, step on people if you need to, okay. and get what you want. Uh, yeah, Matt. I had a different take on that. Okay. Our culture looks on, this, on people like this extremely favorably because they kind of exude a, um, an element of authenticity they seem. Mm. Genuine, open, and um, you know they interact with others from a sense of like deep disclosure. Yeah, beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. I think there is a truth to that about authenticity. So, I see that too. That's mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. All right, let's move to you guys about the blessed are those who mourn. What what are you thinking? I think just in the top, and they elaborate and expand on that. But just from the top, you said uh, when, when people are mourning, whether it's for death in the family or somebody got injured or they didn't get the job they wanted or anything happened to where they're sad to me uh, a lot of people their first response is well there's so strong belief in God if, if there was a God why would he allow this to happen mm -hmm. that's the first thing that comes to my mind and then yeah they both kind of elaborated on that so yeah yeah so when you're mourning, sometimes I think our culture says, just suck it up. Just, you know, just tough yeah. up, right? Like going to your job or something. It's just yeah. Compartmentalize. Yes, compartmentalize is a really good right. way to say that. Yeah, yeah. That's good. said it was just, it's all about me. Society is all about me. It is. Like yeah. if, you're, if you're mourning, like yeah, if you're mourning to, to do something, take care of, you know, like yeah. drink or do whatever you need to do to make yourself feel better, right? Comfort yourself. So, yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah, go on vacation. All right. So we learned what meek is. Yeah, we, we learned what meek is. I have a definition here. Great. It's quiet, gentle, and easily imposed on. Mm. Submissive. Okay. All right. So <laughs> Jesus says those type of people are blessed. They're happy. They're, what does that mean? 
Or what does the culture say? What does our culture say about that? We were talking about our culture and how, like, in today's, today's culture, like, there, there has to be a hierarchy. There has to be someone mm. at the top to be Yeah. Um, and um, we, we just talked about how, like, in order to get there, you have to push through people. You have to talk mm. to people. You mm. have to mm. backstep whatever, whatever it is you need to do. But the ultimate goal is to get to the top. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we were saying, um, it goes back to kind of what Chris was talking about um, on Romans chapter 2 is, um, or what, what Paul was saying is that, you know, we think that we can lead the blind, we think that we can teach the fullers, teach the children, but, you know, just because we have the law, but mm -hmm. just because we have the law doesn't mean that we're really following mm -hmm. Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. And so, like, I think the idea is that we have to bring ourselves lower. We have to yeah. Right. Right. Go through life with humility. Right. Huh. Yes. Very sure. good. Thank you. All right, John, you want to do the peacemaker one? What does our culture say about being a peacemaker these days? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. We talk about like just our, our, our culture says choose a side, mm -hmm. choose a side. Don't reach for peace, like just choose a side, right? Mm -hmm. So more than ever. So, um, so, you know, think about what Jesus is saying and how, how, how it lands in, mm -hmm. even for this, we're talking about, remember, a sermon of offense and how it can be like, huh, what? So... When you're, if you're reading this, there's, there's a chapter on the Beatitudes in the, in the book that we're reading. So let's just look at them really quickly. So, um, you know, Jesus, there's one way of looking at the Beatitudes, which Jesus or Philip Yancey calls dangling promises, right? And he says, so look at this, the poor receive a kingdom, mourners are comforted, the meek rule the world, the hungry are filled, the persecuted receive a kingdom, and, and Philip Yancey says that when you first approach the Beatitudes, it's kind of like their future promises. The audience is the poor and the mourning and the meek and the hungry, all these people out there. They're kind of broken people. And so as Jesus is saying, you know, if you're in a broken place, there is a promise, a future promise, a future reward for you. Mm. And so sometimes you can, at the very simplest you can listen to this sermon and think, I know there's a future reward for me. There's hope. Mm. If you're in this place of brokenness, there's hope for you. That's mm. one way to look at the Beatitudes. And it's a true way, right? It's, a, it's an accurate way. Another way to think about this, um, to think about the Beatitudes, Philip Yancey calls the great reversal. And, and this is kind of what Ben was um, relaying, which is that our culture tells us, um, here's what success in the world looks like. And the Beatitudes say, actually, success in God's kingdom, sorry, somebody's texting me, um, looks very different than that. 
right? So six, what does success in God's kingdom look like? It looks like being poor in spirit. It looks like being um, meek and all of those things. So I want to read um, this just from page 113, this little uh, part of, on uh, that Philip Yancey says. He says, you know, how do they, um, how would the world um, rewrite the Beatitudes? And he says, happy are the pushers, for they get on in the world. Happy are the hard-boiled, for they will never let life hurt them. Happy are they who complain, for they get their own way in the end. Mm. Happy are the blasé, for they never worry over their sins. Happy are the slave drivers, for they get results. Happy are the knowledgeable men of the world, for they know their way around. Happy are the troublemakers, for they make people take notice of them. So that's how you succeed in our world. But Jesus is saying there's something totally different. Success in, um, in the kingdom of God looks very different than that. So, and he's really saying that when you're in a situation of need, okay, so all of these, they're broken. When you're in this situation of need, sometimes your greatest need, when you're in the greatest need, is when you go, I have to turn to God. I have nothing else. So I want to tell you a story about um, my neighbor, actually. So my neighbor, Carrie, her daughter um, had a, um, a very, very premature baby. The baby was born at 25 weeks, less than one pound. Mm. This, um, my neighbor, Carrie, she uh, was not, she, she kind of grew up in the church, but then her brother died and she just went, Nope, that's not for me. So, you know, we've talked about my faith, but this carries like, you know, no, not for me. Well, when her granddaughter was born, Kennedy, she coded several times. They didn't expect her to live. She spent over 100 days in the NICU. And, of course, we're praying for her. We're telling her that we're praying for her. And um, just literally last night, uh, now Kennedy is... I mean, miraculously alive. She's um, about four months old. She weighs 10 pounds. Like it's just, it literally, she said to me last night, she said, I, I didn't know why my brother died and I don't know why Kennedy is alive. But what she said to me was she said, I was holding Kennedy in my arms and I looked down at her and I said, I know you need me, but I'm pretty sure I needed you more than you needed me because she's now on this road. She's like, can I come to your Bible study? And can you recommend a Bible for me? And she's seeking after God and she's being comforted. Like she's, she's running after him. And isn't that true? When your heart is in this very broken place, your, your fertile soil, if you'll let me use that expression, fertile soil for God, for letting God meet you where you are. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the great reversal. That's part of what he's saying is that this is upside down. It's totally upside down from what we would think. Now, there's one more way that um, Philip Yancey talks about the Beatitudes, and that is um, it's just simply true. And what he means by that is that when, when people, and this is, again, what Ben was talking about, when people like say, okay, really just run after what you want and, and just, you know, find all these ways to be happy and don't give your life away, like be self-centered and do all those things. When, like, think about, I think about Robin Williams and I think about Tom Brady, 
uh, you know, Robin Williams had everything and he was just desperately sad. And Tom Brady, after like his third Super Bowl, he said it was like the most depressing day of his life because he was like, I, I thought somehow this would give me satisfaction. And so there's just a truth that when you give your life away is when you gain your life. That's what Jesus said, right? So mm. we have, um, and, and Philip Yancey talks about people who go to other countries and give their life away. And Robbie and I have these friends that um, about 25 years ago, we mm -hmm. said, uh, they lived in Charlotte. He was uh, in the finance world and they decided that God was calling them to Ethiopia. And they, you know, they did what you hear missionaries do. They sold everything they had literally and they moved to Ethiopia. And they lived in Ethiopia for 23 years, we said. And last year, I don't know if you would know this, but Ethiopia had a very severe civil war and they were told they had to leave. And so they did, they left and, and um, they were heartbroken about leaving and they're, they, they're turning 60 this year. And their kids said, okay, you're done, just stay home, you're done, you spent 25 years on the mission field in Ethiopia of all places, stay in the U.S., let us take care of you. Let, you know, just live the comfortable life. And they're like, we can't do it. Our life, we want to give our life away. And so they can't go back to Ethiopia, but they're talking about going to Egypt. And so it's just this mm -hmm. thing of, of exactly what he's talking about, that mm -hmm. when you give your life away, somehow you get your life. And that's what the Beatitudes, the message, it's so countercultural, but it's the message that, that Jesus is trying to give, get to us is when you give your life away or when you mourn, you will be comforted. When you're meek, you will inherit the earth, all of those things. Mm -hmm. So that's really the message of the Beatitudes. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, honey. Thanks, dear. All right. You want to talk a little bit more about the yeah. Sermon on the Mount? Yep. We've got 20 and, minutes. And you know, it's, it's, it, it's kind of like when you hear what Jesus has been teaching, it's something that you couldn't have made up. Like it's so counterintuitive, and yet it, it part of it reveals, like this is something different, and this is a quality of life that changes everything. It's really true the further you unpeel and keep going down deep. So we're, I'm going to go back to the Sermon on the Mount for just a little bit and just talk about these in two big buckets for a second. That when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, you hear an incredibly strong truth alliance. And then you also hear this incredibly big grace alliance. The truth and grace. And Jesus says in a couple other places, the way that I call you to live is truth and love, truth and grace. And it's kind of a, you know, almost like uh, railroad uh, girders, if you, is that the word for it? Ties, maybe? Ties? Tracks. tracks. Let's say let's, tracks. Let's say train tracks. The, the, the idea of kind of this, of telling the truth in love. If, if you're not telling the truth, what's the point? If you're not living the truth, what's the point? But if you're not living it with love, also, what's the point? So he kind of unveils this throughout the Sermon on the Mount. So he says these kind of things. Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the law 
and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. This phrase, kingdom of heaven, is the main thing that Jesus talks about. The main thing that he talks about in the sermon is the idea of the kingdom of heaven, which, by the way, would mean there is a king. And that would be uh, inviting us into that kingdom and what we call uh, Christian living or you know, following the precepts of Jesus. What you would be saying to this is that makes us citizens of the kingdom. That's how we are called to live as citizens in the kingdom of God. But he says this all the time. So here's this phrase, and you should take a big gulp when you read this. Unless your righteousness is better than the most astute, you know, Pharisee, religious leader, then you got no hope for the kingdom. It should make you go, well, well then there's no hope for any of us. If you have to be that good, I'm guessing, by the way, that they were really, really good. Most of them are not, by the way. But here he is saying, and they think this, unless your righteousness is better than that, you're in trouble. And he says this, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What do you think? Put those two together. And what do you think he's saying? And what, what hits you when, you when you hear these? Your righteousness has got to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. By the way, just be perfect. Like your Father in heaven is perfect. What do you think? How would you hear these? It's not possible. What do you mean? Did, did we get to the Sermon on the Mount and find out that none of it is possible? Like he wasn't even talking about reality? What do you think? How do you put these together? No, he wants us to be telling them to align your heart in the same perfect way that God aligns his heart. Mm. He wants us to love in the agape way. For sure he does. The way that we can't even really conceive agape. Yeah. And he wants you to do it perfectly which none of us are, are perfect in. Where I think he's, he's going with this is only when you're at the end of yourself can you start looking up and looking for God. Only when you say, I could never be perfect. Oh, now we got hope. But as long as I just keep trying to either convince myself I can be perfect or just trying to con you, as long as I'm playing this game, I'm not actually looking for grace. And I think the Sermon on the Mount is supposed to be inviting us to grace and inviting you to the end of yourself. At the end of your rope, now there's hope. But as long as you keep trying to make more rope and saying, well, I'll get my way to heaven, I'll, I'll figure it out, I can, I can solve it, I'm smart. That, and then, okay, keep being smart. Be as smart as the religious guys. Get this level. Let's, let's just make it a little bit higher. Perfect, right? That's what I think he's doing. He's given us absolute ideals that should make you say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, two men walk into a church. Sounds like a joke, right? Two men walk into a church. One guy uh, is a tax collector, which is like the worst of all kind of worst people. And one guy is a, a, a nice, good religious uh, leader. And the religious leader says, 
God, thank you that I'm not that guy. <coughs> thank you that, you know, I give money to the church. Thank you that I pray all these times a day. And thank you that I am not a tax collector. And he says, but the tax collector wouldn't even look to heaven. And he beat his breast and he said, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, only one of them walked out righteous. And it's a curveball on you. It's not the religious guy. It's the guy who begged for mercy, who said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I think that's what the Sermon on the Mount is supposed to get you to. It's supposed to get you, if you take it serious, if you take it as these are the words from God Almighty, I don't know how I live them. Good place to start at the foot of the cross. Now, Lord, help me. And now run after these because these are true principles and it's a real right way to live. But just don't ever think it's about your success so that at the end of life, you're going to get to heaven and sing Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. God will go, mm -mm, that way, in somewhere else. So is that supposed to be like a, almost like a, an ask for help moment? Yes, it is. Hmm. I think that's right, Matt. I think any, any of the moments that we're living when it's an ask for help moment, it's a good moment. Hmm. But we're trying to do everything we can to not get to that place. We are trying to prevent our need for God. And he is showing us in the Sermon on the Mount that everything is pointing to our desperate need for him. Okay, so he, he's, you know, you've got these Ten Commandments that were given. By the way, the Ten Commandments are supposed to do the exact same thing. Let me just say this. They, said, they did this survey one time and they said, um, they asked Americans on the street, how do you get to heaven? Follow the Ten Commandments. The, the people would say over and over, follow the Ten Commandments. And they followed that question up with, can you name the Ten Commandments? And the average person got three and a half of them. So they're saying the way you get to heaven is follow the Ten Commandments, but I only know three and a half of them, which is not a good thing, right? But if you look at the Ten Commandments, this is this beautiful thing. In the story, God rescues them from slavery, the group of Jews from slavery. He rescues them. There's a Passover, parting of the Red Sea. You know this part, right? And then after, you're already my people. You belong to me. I ransomed you. I bought you. You're mine. Now here's how to live. Here's the Ten Commandments. And by the way, none of us are going to keep the Ten Commandments. We're going to break them all over and over constantly. But this is the way to live. So $64,000 question. I have a dog who likes cat food and likes to run across the street and eat the cat food. Runs across a busy street because the neighbor has a cat and she keeps the cat food out. I build a fence. Does building the fence make the dog my dog? What a stupid question. I build the fence because I love my dog and I give her parameters, right? That's exactly what these laws are. The law, following the law does not make you God's person. The law is a gift to care for his people. 
Another word for law in Hebrew is fence. It's literally a way to help you flourish. But when you get it backwards and you start trying to follow the law, then you're in trouble if you're trying to follow the law to, to kind of self-actualize and become God's. So now you might say, where, where were you at the Ten Commandments? Look at what Jesus says. Here's still the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard from our ancestors you must not murder, which is one of the Ten Commandments. If you murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, if you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you might have done that in, in your mind in the last few weeks, or today, or while I'm teaching. Um, you are in danger of being brought before the court. If you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So Jesus said, okay, let's just take those Ten Commandments because you're trying to weasel out of it. I, I haven't killed anybody lately. I'm not with the mafia, okay? If you think this way, you're still guilty. Another way. We're always trying to jump that fence. We are always trying to jump that fence. I'm trying to look for a loophole to act like I'm following God without actually really following Him. So I say to anyone who looks at a woman with, with lust, or a man has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out. Throw it away, for it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. So again, we're back to this is one of the Ten Commandments right there. And Jesus says, oh, it's, it's bigger than this. It's even how you think and how you live. A little more absolute ideals. This is still this. I say don't resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer another one. Oh, who does that? But I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. All of this is from the from the Sermon on the Mount. And it's supposed to make you go, gulp. Lord, be merciful to me. And he goes, exactly, you need mercy. Who do you think, when, you, when I say, who did Jesus hang around with? Who do you think? Just name some people. Sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. Boy, you, you guys hit the whole list. Lepers. I like that. It's exactly right. Um, yeah, I've got all of these things, tax collectors, prostitutes, outcasts. I didn't have lepers. I should have had that there. And I like this. Jesus says to the religious leaders, and that whole list that I just gave you, they're all going to heaven before you. Well, how do you think that went over? But what it says is it's the people who knew they needed grace. You know that you need grace, there is grace available. Just like if we're made for food, good thing there's such a thing as food. It's showing you something else is going on. And by the way, if there's a deep longing in your heart that's not satisfied here, it probably means you were made for another place. It probably is evidence in your own heart that there's a future hope for you. So this absolute grace, I was just showing this absolute ideals. If you keep reading that, you go, oh my goodness, Lord, how is there any hope for me? And he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Poor in spirit would be a co-opted term for, I know I'm at the end of my rope. Poor in spirit does not have anything to do with finance. It could, but it really has to do with 
Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the place to start. That's the start of salvation. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. That's a different translation. Blessed are those who are poor and realize their need of him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs, just for the asking. It's the beautiful thing of the gospel that we got back to. You Don't get lost in all of this up here. Get lost first in this mm. place mm. of those who realize their need for him. It is available. Isn't that beautiful? Blessed are the desperate is the way um, Yancey says it. So if you haven't read this or you, you know, so we just took this from chapter 6 and chapter 7. So if you haven't read that, be, you know, and... And some of these things went, oh, I need to hear a little bit more of that. The six and seven. Next week, we'll, well, you're going to say that, honey. <laughs> now my wife is going to give the last advertisement. Oh, oh. I'm out of time. How many minutes do I have, dear? Uh, Four five. minutes. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to invite us all to pray together. So right here in the Sermon on the Mount, if you didn't know, Right there in the middle of it is this invitation. And if you don't see this, this is just one big grace that you're invited to pray to your Father. And you can make these requests. And your Father who sees in heaven speaks, will respond and provide what you need. So let's just pray this together. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. As we have forgiven our debtors. Sorry. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from the evil one. Dear? I think it's amazing. Like all of that is in one sermon. And at the end, you know, so he's saying, look, this is how perfect God is. And then he's saying, but there's grace available. And if you're desperate, let me tell you how to talk to God. Let me tell you how to ask for help. I'm going to write all right there in the same sermon. Mm. So this is our list of um, we're still collecting questions. So I don't know if anybody wants to add Still chance to add questions? Anybody want to add a question? Okay, if you do, let me know. Um, then I, we do want to let you know what's, we're going to be following the book a little bit closer now. And so if you want to prepare for next week, we're going to talk about chapters eight and nine. And if you don't read it, the world is going to spin beautifully. But if you want to read and be prepared, you certainly can. We're going to talk about Jesus the lover and forgiver and Jesus the miracle worker. That's next week. And then the week after that, we're going to do chapter 10 and 11, Jesus the redeemer, reconciler, and restorer. So, oh yeah, that's it. So does any, Robbie, do you want to just, um, I'm going to close this out in prayer. Okay. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for being um, willing to come to this earth and to shake it up. 
um, thank you for uh, teaching us how who you really are and um, through this book and through just studying your word and studying your sermons. Um, I pray that we would know you more for who you really are and we would be willing to um, embrace your message. Mm. I pray that um, we would walk and be that person. Blessed are the desperate. I just love that so much. And I, um, I long to be desperate for you. So Lord, help us put us in those positions so that we're ready to receive your grace. I pray that you would um, go with us and that you would um, be the center of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.